Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today for our next episode of Mixed Messages with Jeff Bogue. My name is Joe Caruso, and I'll be your host as we dig into today's topic. Well, it seems from news sources to comedians, from friends to advertisements, it seems everyone has an idea of how we should think and live and make decisions. And when even the experts sound convincing, but they disagree, how do we cut through the noise? And how do we sift through all of the information overload and choose what governs our lives? Well, our leadership here at Grace has been processing these things and praying for all of us. So we want to offer a resource to navigate some of the day's most pressing topics and questions. And we actually have a little bit of a surprise for you listening today. If you're watching, you've probably already caught that surprise. We actually have a special guest host today, uh, Julie Slattery. Julie, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're very, very excited. We have some fun questions. And um, actually, as Pastor Jeff and I were talking about these, we're like, we should get Julie in here and and talk a little bit about uh, this particular topic, which I know I'm leaving vague for the moment. But um, Julie, tell us a little bit about just what have you been spending the last you know decade or so of ministry doing in your life? Yeah, well, about <laughs> 10 years ago, I, God called me to start a ministry addressing sexual issues for Christians. So uh, my background is I'm a psychologist, so I had a counseling practice for a while, then went out and worked at Focus on the Family, just more as a generalist with marriage and family and mm-hmm. women's issues. And then it was about 2011 where God just really put this burden on my heart to talk specifically about sexuality. So I spent the last 10 years doing a deep dive in uh, just understanding biblical sexuality and applying that to the everyday lives and questions that people are asking. So it's been quite a challenge. uh, and. The sands of culture keep shifting, so I just tell my friends I'm not bored. Just keep praying, but uh, it's been quite an adventure. Absolutely, that mm-hmm. that's awesome. I I know that um, very few people have opinions about sexuality, right? It <laughs> yeah. doesn't doesn't strike a chord with anybody, and no one's asking those questions at all. So I'm sure you have been bored. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, no, I know that uh, me personally, and then a lot of folks in our life group, and uh, of course here at our church, um, we've. We've uh, dove into your book, Rethinking Sexuality, and like just how helpful that's been to kind of frame some thoughts and kind of walk through these different issues. And um, between uh, the ministry that you've led and uh, the, the books that you've written and the conversations and ministries you've helped with here at Grace, that's why Jeff and I were like, we have to bring in Julie to talk mm-hmm. about today's topic. So thanks for joining us today. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really appreciate it. So... Julie, here's the question that came in, and this is where uh, we wanted to talk. Um, This came up just over a couple of weekends ago, and it was all about how to handle and have conversations with people about gender uh, specifically and how to navigate those varying worldviews. And so uh, with all of these questions, um, how do we start to have conversations with our neighbors, uh, with those that are starting to make these types of decisions personally, and and even maybe with our own children, people that mm-hmm. we're starting to uh, try to help disciple and have a godly worldview on this topic. So we'll start at the beginning of that. Julie, um, how do we have conversations just kind of in general about all that's kind of coming around from our culture about gender identity and navigating all of that? Yeah, well, it really is a whirlwind, (laughs) Joe, as you know. I would say within the last 12 to 18 months, this conversation about gender fluidity, 
and uh, gender being a social construct, it, it always existed in the universities and, and kind of the higher levels of thinking where people were debating these things. But it's been just recently that this is mainstream. Mm. And we see it everywhere in school curriculum now, in children's books and in programming. Um, we see it in laws being passed and just the language that we're being asked to use. And so uh, I, I'll tell you that even for somebody who spends my day job in ministry navigating these issues, I'm still on a learning curve. And I think most people, even in this space, would say that. It's it's happening so rapidly that it's hard to keep up with. All right, first of all, what does the Bible say? Second of all, how can we winsomely live out the gospel for people? And how do we address the pain that these questions and issues represent for a lot of people? So it's complicated, and I think that's an important place to start. There's not an easy, just say this and that, and everything's good. Uh, you, you have to approach these topics knowing that they represent pain, mm. that they are tapping into a worldview. And when we're talking to somebody that has a different worldview than we, we do, it's not going to be a simplistic answer. Uh, it really requires a relationship. That's that's so good. And, you know, it's fascinating that you ended right there with relationship. Like, I think for a lot of people, this feels like a stick of dynamite to relationships, mm-hmm. you know, where maybe you felt like you were on the same page with a neighbor or even a family member. And then all of a sudden this comes up and you're like, you realize maybe you disagree or you have a different language about it. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't even know if I can be quote unquote friends with you. And that might be our listener. That might be our, a friend of our listener, but mm-hmm. still it seems like it's just so um, not only volatile in terms of the information, but volatile, volatile in terms of what it's doing to relationships. And so um, Julie, how, how, what are some of the ways in which we can at least ground ourselves initially and in understanding like what is, how should we be thinking about gender as a believer? And, you know, I think probably most of our listeners say, well, it's male and female, but it, it's it's more than that, especially if you want to have a conversation about it. Like, um, help us through that. What are some of these ground level thoughts that we can start to lock onto? Yeah, I think that's so essential to start there. So not starting with what do I say to my neighbor or even what do I say to my child, but beginning with how do I think through this issue from a biblical perspective? Mm -hmm. And I think because things are changing so fast and because we feel a demand on us to make decisions about what pronouns do I use and what's my position on this, we're reacting really quickly and not prayerfully and thoughtfully. Mm. Uh, And so I think it's important to take a breath, take some time, and just say, hey, these are new questions that are being asked. They probably were asked hundreds of years ago in other cultures, but in our time, this is new. And so we we don't need to react with a knee jerk. The Bible says this, you must believe this. This is where my line is in the, st- in the sand. I think both as individuals and as the corporate body of Christ, we need to be very thoughtful and prayerful and go back to the scripture of what does the Bible actually say about gender? And why do we see this rapid acceleration of kind of this disintegration of gender? Uh, and a big piece of that is just um, what I call our narrative of sexuality. Mm. And I think this is so critical to understand. And what I love unpacking for people is understanding that everybody's coming to these conversations with a backstory, with a narrative that helps them provide context for any sexual issue, including gender. 
And the culture's narrative is that sexuality and gender matter because it's how we create an identity. It's how we discover an identity. Hmm. And uh, when we really have kind of kicked the creator out of the conversation, we become the creator Hmm. of moral categories, of purpose, of identity. And so that's why there's so much pressure being put on, particularly adolescents and young adults right now, to explore issues of sexuality and gender because it really is a bedrock of how they understand themselves. Uh, And so most people that you interact with are going to be coming from that cultural narrative of of gender and sexuality. It's all about my identity. It's about self-expression. I'm going to be a healthy person if I have the freedom of that expression. Uh, What we know is that the scripture provides a very different narrative of our sexuality. And unfortunately, Joe, I think it's a narrative that we don't talk about often. Mm. Uh, Most of the time when we talk about sexuality in Christian settings, it's about a list of rules. Like God says, don't do this. God says, this is wrong. Just save sex for marriage. And we think that's enough. And we haven't really uh, thought deeply about what the scripture actually says about why sex matters, why gender matters. And so that's really what I get passionate about is giving people that why so that now when we apply that to a question about gender, we actually have a context for why this matters to God and how we navigate that kind of conversation. Yeah, I I love how you're putting that. And it reminded me of something that I'm fairly certain I learned in one of your um uh, conferences actually, but like that we're all sexually broken. Yeah. And so a lot of times I think we have this subconscious that like, well, others, some of us know we're sexually broken, but some of us have a subconscious that everybody else is sexually broken, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that we've somehow figured it out or that somehow our mistakes and, and sin and issues are more on a normal level. Uh, and therefore everybody else has it wrong and I have it figured out. Yes. And um, that's a terrible place to start. Um, we, we, we find ourselves in a place where now we're elevating ourselves as opposed to looking to God, um, and we, we start messing all those things up. So when it comes to those narratives, like, what are some of those ones that start to push us down these, uh, I'll, I'll call them wrong pathways, or what are some of those painful points that you mentioned that, like, start leading toward wanting to explore those things? Yeah. So I mentioned there's a cultural narrative. Mm -hmm, I really think there are three narratives. Okay. So the cultural narrative is the first one. I'm going to call the second one the purity narrative, which is really the traditional church narrative of sex. And I think this is what we're running up against in our day and age within church culture. Hmm. The purity narrative, like I said, really focuses on a list of rules. And if I follow that list of rules, then God's good with me. I'm good with God, which is why you say some people are like, oh, they're the broken ones. I'm not the broken ones. But it has a very simplistic view of sex and the purpose of sex. And so if you have a simplistic view of sex, you're going to have a very simplistic view of wholeness, of brokenness, Mm. and what redemption looks like. And, uh, Joe, some people will be aware of the fact that within the last five or ten years, Purity culture has come under a lot of criticism within Christian church for those reasons. It doesn't give context to, what about if somebody experienced sexual trauma in their past? Or uh, why? what is it about our sexuality that makes us pure or impure? Doesn't the gospel say that all of us are impure, mm-hmm. that we become pure through the righteousness of Christ? Uh, well, how about the single person that was promised, if you stay pure, God's going to bring this wonderful marriage, and that doesn't happen. Was God lying? Mm. Um, and so these are some of the things that are pushing 
And they're the pain points that are saying, wow, like what I grew up in the church hearing about sex doesn't make sense for me. So and, that's where we come to this conversation where gender is one of those pain points. Uh, and I think in the church, we've defined gender very simplistically uh, and stereotypically, like girls wear pink and <laughs> they like to play with dolls and boys like blue and they like to play with trucks and they like sports. And and so we've defined gender based on roles and behaviors mm-hmm. in a way that people are saying, I don't fit that. And then you have the culture coming in and saying, well, if you don't fit that, then create your own identity because maybe the Bible or God really isn't the final authority Mm. on these things. Uh, And this is happening in a lot of different areas of sexuality. It's not just the gender conversation, but it's creating a crisis for people in their faith. Because if this is what I heard God says about sex and gender, and it doesn't fit in my experience, and that teaching is doing nothing but creating pain for me, then maybe the alternative is to take the culture's view of sex. Uh, And so I think there are a lot of Christians who are genuinely right now in that place of saying what I grew up hearing is not at all helpful for these conversations. And so that's why I think it's so important that we press into the third narrative, which is really the biblical narrative, the richer story that the Bible actually tells us about sex and gender. I love that. And it actually... (laughs) reminds me of, I think, some of my errors, especially early on in my ministry. So um, I was a a youth pastor um, before uh, coming here to Grace 13 years ago and and did that for three years. And I was in my early 20s. Um, I I became a youth pastor at 22 years old. And so um, just kind of dove into lots of things. And as many of you know and or can imagine, and when you're dealing with teenagers, sex is mm-hmm. a part of the conversation. And while it wasn't heavily on gender conversations at that time, it's amazing how easy it was for me to slip into more of this purity narrative. Just don't break the rules. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a, a um there's a, a little bit of a naivety, if I'll at least self admit, um, to that model. Um, but then there's also just almost like a a protection that you want to try to somehow offer, because I think what we're what you're trying to say is just don't screw up your life too much. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you don't know how else to say it other than just follow these rules, and at least you won't blow it. Is at least what you're trying to hope happens, and. I so as you talked about that, I think I've gotten better over the years, but at the same time, it's just really easy to slip into that. And so I love how you're encouraging all of us. We got to dive into those foundations and specifically this third narrative, the biblical one. So, Julie, help us walk through like what is some of that biblical narrative? What mm-hmm. are some of these complexities that God helps us understand about what real identity is and where all that actually comes from? Yeah. Um, so it kind of starts with this idea that everything God created in the physical world is a form of revelation. Hmm. Everything. And so when we walk outside, Joe will see trees and we see the seasons and the sun and the sky. We see rain, uh, all of it. Especially in Ohio. You see all of it. (laughs) That's right. You're right. We see animals. Um, we see, we see the expanse of mountains, not here in Ohio, but where I used to live in Colorado. But when you read the Bible, you see the Bible consistently is using these physical things to say, this reveals something about the nature and the character of God. Mm. And so you can't be in the Rocky mountains and not feel like tiny compared to who God is. 
And so the scripture would say that, like all of it is crying out and proclaiming the glory of God. And different aspects of creation teach us different parts of who he is. Um, So like Psalm 1 would say, a tree rooted by a stream of water is like how you should be grounded in the word of God Mm. and you're you're daily getting nourishment so you're going to bear fruit in season and you're not going to be thrown around by the winds. And so God created trees in one way to teach us things like that. Mm. And the same is true with our human experience. So you and I know what it feels like to be physically hungry or thirsty. And so God says, okay, I gave you that physical experience so you can know what it is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Mm. Or, to, or when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, or I'm the living water. If you drink of me, you'll never be thirsty again. He's saying the physical is teaching us about the spiritual. And so when we apply that to our sexuality, we have to say God intentionally created sexuality and gender the way he did as a form of revelation. So what is he revealing about himself in our gender and sexuality? And if you read the Bible asking that question, you see it's really clear that God created male and female, the one flesh union, the sexual union of sexuality, to be a metaphor of the covenant love that God has with his people and all the different elements of faithfulness and passionate celebration and intimate knowing, union. Uh, We have... The Bible begin with a wedding between a man and a woman, and we have an ending with a wedding between Christ and his bride. Mm. And then Paul says in Ephesians 5.31, I'm going to help you understand that these two weddings are connected. The first wedding is a foreshadow of the last wedding. And so everything related to our gender and sexuality, if you read through the scripture, is pointing back to this tells the story of God's covenant love for his people and his union with them. And so that gives us a context for, okay, why does sexuality matter? Why does God speak so harshly about sexual immorality? Uh, Why does he say that cheating on your spouse is such a big deal? Why does he say gender is a big deal, that male and female matter? Well, because it's all part of this metaphor that is revealing something very sacred. That's fantastic. I'm I'm even like typing in some notes here as you chat. Um, Like that, that idea of revelation um, at least in my experience, I don't think many people think about it that way. I mm-hmm. think even if we believe that God is the creator, that God is God, that Jesus is our savior, we still sometimes default to like, and then we live on this rock, do whatever we want kind of on this earth. And like, so glad Jesus forgives me for when I mess up. Amen. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. It's kind of that simple in, in real time experience. But if we slow down enough um, we can start to see God in motion in all these different things. You mentioned you living out in Colorado, and I remember uh, when I got to go visit some friends out in Denver, um, we drove down to the Garden of Gods, mm-hmm. and like there was something about just some solitude like out in that kind of pseudo-desert experience that something hit me, like God was doing something there. I couldn't put any words to it beyond that, but I just remember sensing like, Oh, that's right. <laughs> like yeah. God is doing all of this and he gave this to us for some reason. And like if we don't slow down enough to start asking those questions about rocks, mm-hmm. <laughs> how can we ever hope to process something as deep and painful as like sexuality and identity and all of those things? Yeah. 
So, Julie, that's um, an amazing foundation. Like, where do do we start to take that as people start to interact with us in conversation? How how do, especially those that might be buying into that cultural narrative, especially that, you know what, science is showing. And you and I would both agree that scientists, to use your word, is great, reveals what God has done. It's not in opposition to our faith. Mm -hmm. And so when they say, well, science is showing blah, blah, blah about gender. Yeah. How do we start to engage those conversations? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think it's it's necessary to also add the rest of the biblical narrative mm. that God has created gender and sexuality to reveal this awesome aspect of who he is, but that we live in a fallen world and our experience of gender and sexuality is always going to be twisted in some ways and muted in some ways because of the fallen world, because of our own sinful nature, because of things that have happened to us. And that's where we get to the fact that we all have brokenness in this area. Mm -hmm. So do I perfectly experience what it is to be female and to know what God is revealing through me as a female? No, I'm working towards that. It's a journey of maturity, but I'm not there. And, uh, And I think that's an important context because it gives us grace and humility when we're talking to other people who they're struggling with pain and they have questions. And I think we've got to recognize that we're identifying a problem, our society's identifying a problem of identity and brokenness, but the solution is very different. Hmm. And so the solution of the world is, well, we can create an identity that will save us from this from this pain. And actually, when you look at the science, even though my degree is I'm a clinical psychologist, the prescriptions we're giving in psychology and in the world are actually not helping. Right. And the further we go away from a God awareness, uh, honoring our creation and honoring our created design, the more we see rates of anxiety, depression, suicidality, they're getting worse, not yeah. better. Uh, And so I think we begin by connecting to our common pain before we start arguing about what the solution is, Uh, because that's what we all can resonate with is something is broken. And uh, and that I think sometimes we stay there a long time listening to other people's pain, not arguing about (laughs) what the scientists are saying. But tell me why you're so passionate about this. Everybody has a personal story related to sexual brokenness or gender brokenness. And so listen, ask questions and be bold enough to share your story of where this is broken for you. Mm -hmm. And I think only when we connect on that level, do we begin to start honoring people in terms of how they're trying to seek a solution, but then also sharing where we found hope and actually returning to who God is. That's excellent. And I feel like this is such a, um, a good skill and discipline for any believer to ask those questions. Um, as you were explaining that, my mind instantly went to this is like evangelism 101. It is. You know, if yeah. you want to help someone understand who God is, you don't start by just yelling at them saying, This is what I think and you're wrong. Um, that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> but asking those questions, how have you had to perceive God? What's been your experience with the church? What's been, mm-hmm. and you keep filling in those blanks. And I love that. It's kind of the same thing as they're navigating this conversation about sexuality. What 
has your experience been? What is your pain point? Because it's going to change how we see this whole picture. It's the old adage of the elephant. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a tree trunk. Well, I'm seeing a brush. It's like, no, you're seeing a tail and you're seeing a leg of the same thing. We have to understand where people are coming from before we could ever hope to engage helping them see clearly the biblical narrative of what God's pulling them to. Um, so Julie, where, what would you recommend going from there then in these times? Like, how can we help, um, help people discover maybe that biblical narrative coming out of their cultural perception? Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm reminded all the time, and this is so important in the work that I do, that uh, the gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. And the reason I have to remind myself of that all the time is because I think a lot of times as Christians, we feel like we have this onus to change people's minds and to fight the culture and to fight the tides of what's happening. And so even as we're having this conversation, there are a lot of people who are saying, yeah, but I have to let them know that they're wrong. (laughs) Like, if I don't say anything, it sounds like I'm agreeing with them. And for some reason on these topics related to sexuality and gender, I think there's there's this burden that Christians feel as if every time they have a conversation around this or even interact with somebody who might identify as LGBT, like, I can't be kind because then I'm complicit. Mm. And we've got to remember that it is the gospel that has the power to change our thinking on everything. Uh, And so our relationships with people have to be rooted in not what do you think about sex, and let me change your mind about that, but let me introduce you to who Jesus is. And uh, and so that is an evangelistic relationship and conversation. And then once somebody accepts Jesus as Savior, then we move into discipleship. And that's where we have a lot more of these conversations about, all right, what is it? What does it mean to view sexuality f- from the lens of Jesus and what he taught? And how do we steward uh, the pain that we experience in our past and the questions we're asking? But I think a lot of times we're trying to have discipleship conversations with people that don't know God mm-hmm. and that aren't able to see even the things that we might be sharing. And so we really need to discernment to say, all right, uh, if things are going to change, it's the power of God entering into a person's life. Not that I can make an eloquent argument about the biblical narrative of sexuality. Yeah. I, <clears throat> there's so few times in my life where I've seen um, some type of spiritual victory on my own merits. I can't even think of one. Um, and I think that's the exact point you're making. It's like Jesus is the one that changes our minds, changes our hearts, makes us more and more into his image, and allows us to start seeing the world more clearly through God's lenses. It made me think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it just says, like, when we're offering our bodies as a sacrifice to God, and we start to understand our proper place in worship, which is he's ahead of us, which is really the beginning of salvation, understanding Mm -hmm. that God is God and I'm in his world, Yeah. right? And then we understand that Jesus is the only one that can reconcile that. It says, well, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get into that relationship with God. Allow him to rewire how you think and let him help you start to see things more clearly. It's not something we can just fight against or read in a textbook and say, oh, now I have the right answer. Now I'll live this way. The Apostle Paul says, and I would unfortunately echo so much, like, there's all kinds of things I don't want to do that I do and all kinds of things Mm -hmm. I wish I did that I still don't do. Like, I'm a mess. Mm -hmm. And whenever something good comes out of my life, it's God at work in me. And so 
I, I want to just take this proverbial moment for our listeners to pause for a second and just let that sink in. It is the gospel that has to inform and direct any conversation about how people are going to land on the truth of what gender is or isn't. Mm-hmm. That's it. If it's not the gospel, we're just arguing. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's thank you for that because it's such a powerful and strong and truthful reminder. Boy. Julie, if I'm being honest, I don't even know where to go from here. I mean, I have more questions, but I'm um, just trying to think through um, how do we um, take the next step then with our neighbor if they don't want to have the gospel conversation? Yeah. You be a good neighbor. I, I, that's the key right there. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus called us to a new commandment, which is interesting because there's not a lot of emphasis on loving each other in, in the Old Testament. But when he came, he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. And he talked about a couple different kinds of love. He said, there's this love for one another that is supposed to be supernatural. Like you as a church need to be united as brothers and sisters and work through disagreement and work through conflict and that's one message for us that we have a lot of work to do. That's a great testimony from what Jesus said to the truth of the gospel is that God's people love each other like no other people on earth do. <laughs> so that's one call. The second thing is he says, love your neighbor, which really means care for them. Doesn't mean you agree with everything, but are you that good Samaritan who's looking, how do I serve my neighbor? Uh, do I make them a meal or take in their trash cans or Ask them how they're doing and listen. How do I just show tangible love? And then the third thing he says is love your enemies. You know, pray for them. Pray for God's blessing on them. Show kindness. Repay a curse with a blessing. Mm -hmm. And so I really think Jesus said, hey, this is how you live out the gospel is those three kinds of love. And if we took that seriously, we'd be so busy. We wouldn't have time to argue about politics and about some of these issues we disagree on, we really would be a different kind of people Hmm. and a kind of people that is showing who Jesus Christ really is. I um, recently was challenged to think about how Jesus loved those that seemed like they were quote unquote obviously in sin. And I say it that way because we're all Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, messing with sin on some various level. But a lot of people like to throw out, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Yeah. Jesus hung out with drunkards and prostitutes and tax collectors, and that is so true. But in those settings, Jesus wasn't collecting money with the tax collector. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus wasn't hanging out in the brothel. Uh, Jesus wasn't you know, getting drunk with the drunkard. And yet somehow he was hanging out with them, loving them, engaging with them. And I think that 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 challenge that you're giving to us of how do we love our neighbor has to be in that lens of how did Jesus do it? Mm -hmm. Just because you're loving them, just because you're engaging them, there is a way to do that without affirming whatever it is that they're struggling with, without without saying um, whatever caused you pain has to define you. There's a a different way. There's a Jesus way. And um, I... I think that's a prayer point that we all have to have is, God, how do you want me to navigate this relationship? Mm -hmm. How do I point this person to Jesus through my actions and my kind and gentle words Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to some type of principle 
uh, which I think sometimes we can get lost in. Now, Julie, maybe someone's listening right now. Maybe they're in the middle of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe they haven't even told anybody yet. Um, Maybe they're confused. Maybe there's something that seems broken in their marriage. Maybe... Maybe they're still single and this is one of the reasons why and they're just really um, struggling um, on some level trying to figure out how, which narrative to lean into and, and how to figure that out. What's What are some ways that you might encourage them if that's who's listening at this mm-hmm. moment? Well, first of all, you're not alone. Mm. Uh, and I think that's really important to hear. Um, you know, One of the things that God has called me to do is I travel a lot and I speak on sexual issues to a lot of different churches, denominations all over the country. And we always do a live Q&A where people can text in any question they want. And we do an hour. And I learned early on, it doesn't matter what church I'm in, what city I'm in, there's going to be tremendous pain in every room. Mm. And I think the questions themselves even minister to the people attending because you start feeling like, well, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one uh, that looked at pornography last night and feel horrible about it. I'm not the only one who hasn't had sex with my spouse in three years. I'm not the only one who's battling sexual trauma or is confused about gender or who has a daughter who just came out as bisexual. This is happening everywhere. And so I think to start with that idea that you're not alone, that this kind of struggle and pain is common especially in our day and age. It always has been, but it's, it's accentuated today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in and of itself is comfort. But most importantly, you're not alone in that Jesus wants to be with you in this. And I think sometimes we feel like sexuality is one of those areas where there's a do not enter door. Like <laughs> you don't pray about those areas of your life. You feel like if you were to even to confess that with your small group or your pastor, you'd be judged. Mm-hmm. But when we look at scripture, Jesus is like, I know the truth already. Come to me. Yeah. Let me shine light in these dark places and bring healing. And I get to see on a regular basis People just re- just get so much healing and redemption just by going through the journey of, Lord, this is a mess. This area of my life is so confusing and has so much pain, but I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to look at it through the lens of your word and your love, and I'm going to walk on whatever journey you call me to. And God will meet you in that place. <laughs> He'll meet you with people uh, around you that can identify with what you're going through and provide help, but he'll also bring healing just through the power of his presence and his Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I love doing in ministry is just being able to connect people with those kinds of resources and encourage them on their journey. I, The the verse that's resounding in my mind right now is um, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And that's in the context of Jesus saying, don't worry about all these things. Mm-hmm. You got all these worries and all these cares and all this stuff. He's like, God cares for you way more than the flowers of the field, way more than the sparrows and the trees. Like, he cares for you. He loves you. He will meet your needs. Come to him. You you were talking about uh, when Jesus said, you know, come to me if you're weary and burdened. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with all this stuff. I'll, I, I will give you rest. Yeah. I will show you the way. I will help you sort all of this stuff out. But come to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's run to me and I will help you start to sift all these things out. And I would echo that, Julie, that if if that's where you're at listening today, run to him 
And if and if you, I'll be honest. Obviously, it's one of the reasons we're having this conversation. There are going to be people in the church associated with Christianity that do not know how to have these conversations. Yeah. That that they are so maybe personally hurt themselves or they're so confused themselves that they don't even know how to do responsive conversation, let alone directive conversation. And so if you run into someone that kind of shuts that door and says, do not enter, and for whatever reason, that doesn't mean that God's not extending his hand of invitation to you. It just means that person's broken too and doesn't know what they're doing yet. So run to someone else that can help guide you and lead you in those areas and show you a pathway to Christ, because Christ is there, and his promises are true. If you come to him, you'll have that rest and have um, that opportunity to to be transformed by him. Mm. Julie, like, our my daughter's six years old, mm. and, um, you know, we're right at that. She's just wrapping up kindergarten. She's... Uh, we're just getting into where is she going to go to school because she wrapped up kindergarten at her preschool. Um, and I know that lots of parents are having this conversation at whatever age they're at. Um, like, what do I do with my children? Do I just homeschool them for the rest of my life? Like it's mm-hmm. showing up in math problems yeah. and they're getting worried that suddenly two plus two equals and now I have to teach my kid about gender fluidity. Why is that a thing? What do I do? And I think on top of that, they're seeing it happen at birthday parties. You know, they're seeing nine-year-olds walk up and say, I don't identify as binary, so can you not take – it's like I think parents maybe more than anyone right now are the most confused because they feel responsible. Yeah. So what what words of advice or encouragement would you give to parents in in today's – time oh uh, (laughs) wow I've been there I know what it feels like and uh I think I don't know this is encouragement but I feel like even with everything I know and everything I do these conversations are the hardest with my kids Mm -hmm. and we started these conversations too late in some respects um, because I've just been learning what this looks like and so we're trying to incorporate this into discussions and real life issues and how do we how do we navigate what's happening in the news and our culture and all of it and so it's i think for every parent it's a stumbling journey mm. and we depend on god's grace um but but a few things are uh you have to have these conversations really starting young younger and younger because the very basic of what it is to be male and female is now being reinvented for 3 year olds and so that means that in order for you to disciple your children, you have to start there. And that's a question you always want to be asking. Who's discipling my children and their sexuality? Because the culture certainly is, whether you invite it or not, and you can homeschool your kids and keep them in a bubble for a short period of time, but then they interact with the world. They watch TV, they hear music, they have friends, they live in this world. And so... I. Uh, you have to always say the culture is intentionally discipling my children on these areas. And so I have to be just as intentional to disciple, not teach. Mm-hmm. Teaching is part of discipleship. But really creating a worldview and walking it out day to day with everything that happens in life. And I'm encouraged to see ministries and resources popping up as the need has demanded to teach even preschoolers the purpose of their body, why God created male and female, 
what love is, what sex is, and walking them through kind of what does that conversation start sound like with a six-year-old and a 10-year-old? How do you talk about pornography? How do you protect your kids from sexual trauma? These are all real questions mm-hmm. and important questions for parents to be grappling with. Um, and like I said, it's a discipleship model. It's looking for those resources that can be tools for you to have hard conversations and lay foundations even at a young age. But I'd say it's also an awareness that uh, this is a this is a gospel journey for our kids too, hmm. and it doesn't matter if your kids grew up in a Christian home and you did the best you could, you discipled them. They have to decide in their own hearts who am I with the Lord, and for a lot of kids, it's a stumbling journey towards the gospel. Yeah, and so we have to look for the opportunities also that when our kids are struggling. Uh, when we find them doing something or thinking something that we're like, oh no, that's wrong. How do we how do we tell the story of God in that moment? And really realize like the goal of parenting is not to raise perfect godly kids. The goal of parenting is to introduce Jesus Christ to broken kids. Mm-hmm. And so I think that paradigm really helps too in just realizing that this is not about a perfect journey. It's about a stumbling journey towards a perfect God. That's so helpful. It's so helpful. I I remember um, Pastor Jeff actually saying one time, actually probably multiple times, but I would rather the culture have to fight against my definitions than in reverse, Mm -hmm. where suddenly I'm trying to unwire unwire what the culture has taught my child. And so that's what I think is so wise about you saying, uh, start young, Mm -hmm. you know, because they are getting exposed to these things, even in the innocent things they're exposed to. I say innocent kind of in quotation marks, you know, they're watching a baking show. Well, what's the contestant talking about in their 30 second bio, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, it just, this stuff really permeates very, very, very quickly at such a young age. And that's what's being interpreted by them as reality. And so how do we help them see that? Now, I want to ask you a very, very personal question regarding this, uh, just like in terms of my parenting. I stumbled across the word confused with Uh my daughter. Like she asked me a question about something someone said, and she's like, that doesn't seem to be what God would say. And I said, I I just kind of blurted out like, honey, I think they're just confused. They don't see Mm-hmm. what God is teaching. They don't see what God is showing us. And we, we're going to pray for them that maybe one day they will. Is that, did I stumble or do you, from your vantage point and in your history and experience with this, and also with your background in psychology, like, do you think that's helpful or am I underdoing it, overdoing it? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think language is something we nuance and we learn as we go. Mm-hmm. And it depends on a kid, a kid's age and discernment. Like, you might have one kid who whatever you say will be repeated mm-hmm. probably at an inopportune time. Sure. And so if uh, you have a, a daughter or son who's like going to go to their friend and say, well, you're just confused, then you've got to be aware of how you're framing that because mm-hmm. it will be repeated. But I think when our kids get old enough to understand, we can actually take them to the scripture and use the words the scripture says. Yeah. And the scripture doesn't say confused. It says blinded. Mm-hmm. And that we were all blinded. And we all couldn't see God for who he was until Jesus took off those blinders. And I thank God every day that he helps me take off my blinders. I still have some Mm -hmm. that God needs to help me see straight. And there are a lot of people in this world that they have blinders on. They don't know who God is. They can't see straight. 
and it's going to look like this or look like this. And again, we have to be aware that we've got things where we're not seeing them correctly too. Yeah. Um, so I think the more we can use the language that Jesus himself used, the more we can have confidence that that's the right description. That's really, really good. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that you have been uh, encouraged by this conversation today as you're listening. I hope that this is something that has been beneficial and useful. Um, and I would think that for many of us, it might have just sparked a bunch more questions. And so I would encourage you to continue to dive into your relationship with God, uh, to continue to ask him, as Julie just said, to remove those blinders from your eyes, not only on how you see issues of gender and identity and sexuality, but also in terms of how you see him and how he wants you to interact with those relationships in your life and be a conduit of God's grace to show them uh, an opportunity for life. If you have more questions and you need more resources, maybe you want to dive into some of Julie's stuff. Uh, matter of fact, I'll even pause there and say, Julie, do you want to give any shameless plugs? Because I think your resources <laughs> are great. Is there social media, places people can go? Yeah. Um, our website is AuthenticIntimacy.com. And so you can find lots of resources there, podcast episodes and blogs on this topic as well as as others related to sexuality. So that's that's the best way to go there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, feel free to check those things out. It is a plethora of things to engage and listen to and read and conversations to have. It's really wonderful. And then if you would like this podcast to continue to interact with any of this, maybe you have a, a dialed in question based on today's topic or something else completely, you can always submit that at bath.gracechurches.org slash mixed messages. And we would love to help you continue to navigate those things. Um, If you don't have a church home and would like to find one to start seeking first who God is, we'd love to have you join us here at Grace. You can join us here on the weekends or online at any time. Um, And if we can help you uh, take that journey closer to Jesus, that's our whole MO. That's what we want to do is help you discover more and more of who Jesus is. Well, thank you so much for joining us today as we continue to seek God's voice through all of the mixed messages around us. Catch you next time. Thank you.